Uh, it's so good to see you this morning. So good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining with us. Um, as Pete said, we, as Pete prayed, in fact, we're going to, I want to address one of our biggest and most common fears this morning. Uh, and it's from a verse that I really feel like God has been laying and pressing on my heart for some weeks. Uh, it's John chapter 10, verse 28. Uh, and I, I want to talk from this verse about how we overcome the fear of death. So the title of this morning's message is Overcoming the Fear of Death. Uh, so the technical name for this fear of death apparently is fanato, fanatophobia. Uh, I thought about giving that as the title of this morning's message, but thought no, because you'd struggle to spell it. Uh, I struggle to say it, but fanatophobia is the technical name given to the fear of dying. And there are phobias of every kind, of course. The world is full of things that we might fear and worry about and be afraid of. But if there's one fear that outweighs all the rest, one fear that almost everyone universally wrestles with to one degree or another, at one time or another, it is the fear of death. And it's no wonder is it that so many people fear it? It is the great unavoidable end that awaits us all. There's nothing we can do in our own power to escape it, even if we might find ways to temporarily delay it. It is potentially the most paralyzing and inescapable of all fears. The question is, and I promise this is going to get more encouraging, starting on a low, but the question is, how can we fight such an overwhelming fear as death. Such an overwhelming fear as the fear of death. Well, the internet, as you'd expect, is full of suggestions. One article I found this week was titled Seven Steps to Overcoming Your Fear of Death. And here is what it recommended. First of all, seek help from a professional. Secondly, try therapy and breathing techniques. Thirdly, explore spirituality. Fourthly, explore philosophy. Fifthly, make death a part of your life by accepting that death is natural and good, which it isn't. Prepare for your death by writing a will and planning your memorial service, or finally, focus on wellness. And I think there must be some kind of deep irony in that. Ultimately, the concluding advice given in the article was this. Death is an aspect of life and can't be avoided. By understanding that it's inevitable and it will happen to every single person that you know at some point too, you'll realize that you're not alone and hopefully find reassurance that way. Now, I don't know about you, I don't find that very reassuring. To find reassurance in the fact that death is inevitable and that you're not alone because everyone else around you is going to die too. I don't think that works, but if that's the only help that's on offer, then... I guess that will have to do. Or there is another option, of course. We could instead listen to the words and the promises of the only person who not only claimed but proved himself able to overcome and defeat death, to overcome and defeat even our death. You see, I understand the desperate grasping for hope that people are looking for in the world as they, as they face the bleakness, the prospect of their own death. I don't share those 
things from the article so that we really so that we would laugh at them, but to stir our hearts with sympathy towards all those people who are desperately scared, fearful of death, and who don't know that there is a way to truly overcome this fear of death. There is a way to even overcome death itself. What so many people don't know is Jesus. They don't know that he is the answer. They don't know that Jesus came not only to actually rescue people from the shackles of sin and death, but also to liberate us from the fear of death too. As it says in Hebrews 2 verse 15, he died in order to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And perhaps you feel like all your life you have, to one degree or another, to some measure been in slavery to the fear of death. Perhaps that's because you're not yet a Christian and you haven't yet understood that Jesus came to defeat death itself for those who put their hope and trust in him. And if you don't yet know or fully understand how he did that, we are eager to share with you the good news. And I want to do that through what I'm going to say this morning. But perhaps you are already a Christian. I know many of us are. You do know what Christ has done for you. You have asked him to be your saviour from sin and death. And yet you still wrestle with, to some degree with some measure of Fanatophobia, some measure of fear about your death. I would guess, I would be confident, all of us at one time or another struggle with this fear of dying. Well, what then can we do? How can we as Christians battle with and even overcome our remaining fear of death? The Bible offers us many ways, but the verse we're going to look at this morning represents one particularly powerful way. One especially powerful way to go to war with our fear of death. And it is by listening to the words and the promises of Jesus, our good shepherd. Because here is what Jesus says to his disciples and to all of us in John, John chapter 10. From verse 27 to 29, here's what he says to quench our fears. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And here's our verse for this morning. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here in these three verses, and especially in verse 28, are two divinely inspired, fear-crushing promises. The promise, first of all, of eternal life, and the promise, second of all, of eternal security. These are going to be our headings for this morning. These are just some of the promises Jesus makes to free us from being enslaved to the fear of death. So let's look at each of these two in turn. First of all, the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. Look again at Jesus' words here at the beginning of verse 28. He's saying, I, I give them, I, I give my sheep, I give those who follow me, I give them eternal life. And the first word of comfort here for all 
who fear death is this word eternal. I give them eternal life. Because what is one of the greatest fears that we have about our death? It's the fear of no longer being alive, of being dead, of being gone, of no longer existing. Death is the final end, is what so many people think. The last curtain behind which absolute nothingness awaits us. But what Jesus is promising to us here, to every single person who follows him, is eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal means, by definition, that once you have it, your life will never end. You'll never lose it. Granted, as Christians, we will still have to physically die But that death won't really be like death when it comes because nothing can get in the way of you and I being eternally alive. And in fact, as we know, even our physical death, the death of our bodies will only be temporary. So powerful is this gift that Jesus gives of everlasting life, of a life that lasts forever. So that word eternal is a good starting point A good start in putting to rest our fear of death. But let me address another fear. Many of us sometimes entertain about death, and uh, I've felt this fear. I hope some of you have too, or you're going to think I'm very strange. It's one that I wrestle with at times. The fear of eternal life. The fear of eternal life. Sometimes some of us, get freaked out by the idea of living forever. Maybe even almost as much as we do about the idea of not living forever. But here's where this word life is so important. Because what Jesus is promising us here is not just eternal existence. He doesn't just say, I give them eternal existence. Dreary, never-ending, eternal existence would in itself be a hellish thing. It's no wonder our our souls recoil at the idea of it. If that is what we imagine eternal life will be like, dreary, unending existence. But Jesus does not promise something so vague and unsatisfying as mere eternal existence. The life Jesus offers, and you see it especially throughout John's Gospel, is very specific and special and spectacularly good. It is, first of all, a life that satisfies our deepest hunger and thirst And so Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Secondly, it's a life that brings us out of the dark shadow of sin forever. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thirdly, it's a life that begins now and continues on into eternity. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, 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 I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And then John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And fourthly, it's a life, best of all, that above all 
centers on a relationship with God himself through Jesus. So John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. Here is what it looks like. He says that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the unending, eternal life that Jesus promises us, knowing and being with God forever. Just as fish were made to live in the water and penguins in the snow, we were made to live with God. And as much as we might still rebel or have rebelled against him, as far away as we might try to run from him, every fiber of our being yearns and longs and aches to be with him, to be back with him. We were made to find all rest and joy and happiness and peace with him. He's our natural habitat. He's the place, the home, the person that we were made for. And that's why the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel, is such good news. As John Piper writes, Salvation is not good news if it only saves from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt and doesn't open the way to God. Justification is not good news if it doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it doesn't bring us to God. Adoption is not good news if it doesn't put us into the arms of God. And he goes on, we were made to experience full and lasting happiness from seeing and savoring the glory of God. The gospel of Christ is the good news that at the cost of his son's life, God has done everything necessary to enthrall us with what will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy, namely himself. This is the eternal life that Jesus gives to us. And it will thrill us, and it will captivate us, and it will melt our souls with overwhelming joy forever and ever and ever. So it's eternal life, and it's a quality of life, the likes of which our hearts right now will struggle to fathom. Although the Holy Spirit does give us a taste of what this life is like, even now, even in the here and now. But let me address one more fear under this first heading, the promise of eternal life. Let me address one more fear before we move on to the second half of this verse this morning. What about the fear that perhaps we don't really possess the eternal life that Jesus is here promising? What about that fear that what if this isn't mine? What if I've not received this? And the answer to this fear is found in the word give. I give them eternal life. Do you see that there? I, Jesus says, I give you eternal life. Do you already possess this eternal life that Jesus is speaking of here this morning? Well, one thing that's vital to understand is that it's something that can only be received as a gift. It can only be yours if you're willing to ask for it and receive it as a gift. It's not something that any of us can earn or deserve. There's no use trying to convince Jesus to give it to you because you're a good person or because you've done some good things or even because you promise you'll do better in the future. Eternal life is only on offer to those who humble themselves 
and who are willing to ask for it solely as a gift. And in fact, the measure of life and the quality of eternal life that Jesus offers us isn't even portioned out in proportion to how strong and sure and steady our faith is. It's not that the stronger you believe and the stronger your faith and the better Christian you are, the better quality of eternal life you will receive. No, no, no. Let every fearful and timid heart here this morning be assured. Our fears and tremblings, our doubts and uncertainties, they don't in any way affect the measure of eternal life that is already ours if we have put our trust in Jesus. Because the life he gives isn't given in proportion to the strength of our belief or the absence of our fears. It is an undeserved gift through and through from beginning to end, given in proportion to the one who gives it to us, the one in whom we have believed. His greatness is given in proportion to his greatness, the greatness of Jesus. He is the very light of life, the one whom, through whom all things were made, the one who gave life to everything in the beginning, and the one who still promises today fullness of everlasting life, to all who are willing to recognize that they simply don't deserve it, but turn to him anyway to ask for him, ask him to give it to us as a gift. The life he gives is precisely what we don't deserve. If you're aware this morning of what you don't deserve, then the life he gives is exactly what you don't deserve. It's the great exchange of our sin for his righteousness. He takes what we deserve. He takes our death, the punishment of death for all of our sins, and we receive the gift of eternal life. We're given what he deserves, fullness of life forever with him. And if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, if you've not yet received this gift of eternal life because you've not yet asked him for it, Jesus is holding out his hands to you this morning, offering life to all who are willing to hear and follow him. And it is fullness of life from the moment we believe. Fullness of forgiveness, fullness of acceptance, fullness of relationship with God forever. And once received, it is never lost. Which brings us to the Second thing, the second promise we see in these verses, our second heading for this morning, the promise of eternal security. Here is the final fear we're going to address. The fear that perhaps we could have this gift today because this morning we sit here and our, our hope and our faith and our trust is in Jesus, but we fear somehow one day maybe we will lose this gift before we die. The fear that eternal life could be torn from us at some point in the future. But look at what Jesus says to us. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus promises that whoever hears his voice and follows him will be eternally safe and secure. And he, and he just makes this promise over and over and over again through verses 28 and 29. 
Uh, as, as one writer puts it, nowhere in Scripture is there a stronger affirmation of the absolute eternal security of all true Christians. In fact, Jesus emphasizes our eternal security at least five times in verses 28 and 29. Let me show you where that is, where he does this. First of all, we see the promise of our eternal security again in that word eternal. Eternal doesn't mean seven minutes or seven months or seven years until you lose it or until you give up on it or until you have it snatched by thieves and robbers. Jesus knows what eternal means. He says eternal because he means eternal. He gives eternal life that by definition, once it's truly given, cannot ever be lost or come to an end. It is as eternal as the life of the Son of God himself is eternal. Secondly, we see the promise of our eternal security in the words, they will never perish. The life Jesus gives cannot perish. It cannot wear out or be destroyed by life's trials and difficulties. It cannot be ruined or spoiled by our own sins and failings. It is, 1 Peter 1.4, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is what we possess if we're believers here this morning. An inheritance, an eternal life that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As J.C. Ryle writes, Christ declares that his people will never perish. Weak as they are, they will all be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their soul may be strong and mighty, but their saviour is mightier still. Christian, brothers and sisters here this morning, you will never perish. Thirdly, we see the promise of our eternal security in those words that no one will snatch them out of my hand. Christ himself is our protector. You're not the protector of your faith. Christ is your protector. We are in his hands and just think for a moment, if you've ever been given something truly uh, priceless or precious to hold, conjure something up in your mind, if you've ever been given something really precious to hold, you'll know how immediately with such a weight of responsibility, your hands start to shake, your legs turn to jelly, suddenly you're tripping over every obstacle and it's all going wrong. But Jesus has taken our salvation, our eternal life, into his mighty and unshakable hands. His hands do not shake when he holds one of the most precious things of all, your soul, your life, your eternal future with him. He holds us in his hand and no one and nothing is powerful enough to snatch us away. Not sin, not suffering, not the devil himself and all his angels could ever prize apart his hand and snatch us from his grasp. Our shepherd holds on, and he will not let us go. There is no one who can steal us from the hand of God and the hand of his son. Fourthly, we see the promise. Don't you love how this just keeps going? We see the promise of our eternal security in the words, my father has given them to me. Listen to the words of Spurgeon. 
Will the Lord Christ lose what his father gave him? You know how people say, oh, I hope that if a burglar takes anything from my house, he will not take that cup, which is an heirloom. My father gave it to me. If a man has to defend his property, he would be sure to take care of that which was a very special gift, given in his honor as a memorial of a great work. So is it with our Lord Jesus. He values that which his father gave him. I delight in the thought. I picture my blessed Lord looking at each one of his believing people and saying, my father gave you to me. That poor woman, that struggling young man, that decrepit old lady, that man who is half starved but who loves his Lord, Jesus says of each one, my father gave this soul to me. And he cannot lose what his father gave him. He would die again sooner than he would lose them. Christ would die again sooner than he would lose you. Finally, and in case all of that is not already enough, we see the promise of our eternal security in the words, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus says to us, do you see my father? He puts his hand over mine. There now, you are inside two omnipotent hands, guarded by the power of my father. Our final salvation is as certain as the power of God is invincible. Our life is already hidden with Christ in God. Those who have flown to Christ for refuge need never fear being lost again. Every believer is infinitely secure. The Father and the Son jointly guarantee it, and they swear to it together. In John 6, verse 39, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. If your trust is in Jesus this morning, even the smallest trust, the smallest, most fragile faith, you will be raised up by Christ himself. On the last day, have no fear of that. When you one day breathe your final breath and die, it will not be on you to raise yourself. It won't rest on the the strength of your faith at that moment as you breathe your dying breath to raise yourself up. Jesus promises that he will be there with you. And in that moment, he will take you by the hand and he will raise you himself to everlasting life and fullness of joy forevermore. So what then about our fear of death? Honestly, we perhaps won't ever be fully free of it until we've passed through it ourselves and seen finally with our own eyes what awaits us on the other side. But one day we will truly see not, by, not just by faith like we do now, but by sight, we will see one day what we'll then realize should have completely banished all of our fears long, long ago. We will see that the victory of our Savior 
that the good shepherd's laying down of his life for his sheep has transformed death, our old enemy, into the best of all doorways. A doorway into a place where we will experience a life of unimaginable joy and happiness in the presence of our God and his people forever. Until that time, let's trust him. He has given us eternal life. You and I will never perish and nothing can snatch us from his hand. And he will be with you on the day that you die. He will give you special grace and peace on that day. And on that day, he will remove forever every one of our remaining fears. He will on that day fulfill our deepest longing to be home. And if you are here this morning listening, you're not yet a Christian, let me just ask you, where else will you go to find what Jesus offers? After a large group of people turned away from Jesus, he asked those who remained, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus' words are the words of eternal life. Take them seriously, if you haven't done before. Take him seriously. He is inviting you to trust him and follow him today. Won't you respond by simply turning and believing in him? Ask him to give you the gift that only he can give because he is holding open the gate for you to come in and receive eternal life and real lasting freedom here and now from the fear of death let's pray heavenly father we thank you for the promises that you have made we thank you for the promises of jesus we thank you, Lord, that he came not only to make promises, but to defeat death itself, to defeat death in our place, to defeat our death so that we might be able to live with you forever. And Lord, we do thank you for these promises. Oh, Lord, please help us to believe and trust the words of Jesus that we've heard this morning. Lord, we pray that you would shrink what fear of death remains in us as we look to Jesus. Not as we try to stir up strength and courage in ourselves to be the kind of person who doesn't worry about death. But Lord, as we, in our weakness, look to Jesus and see that he is altogether able and capable and sufficient to hold us secure and lead us into life everlasting forever with you we pray this and we praise you in jesus name amen